a comprehensive defense of Donald Trump. Mr. Reagan. It is absurd that a defense of Donald Trump must be made. Why does the press even hate Donald Trump so much? Is it because the economy is growing so much? Is it because tax cuts are a huge success? Is it because unemployment is so absurdly low? Is it because Donald Trump has rolled back more regulations than any president in history? Which is great for everybody, by the way. Is it because ISIS is no longer a thing? Is it because NATO countries are now paying their fair share or close to it? Is it because he moved the U.S. Embassy in Israel to Jerusalem, which every president, including Barack Obama, promised to do but nobody did. Is it because he's creating peace in the Korean Peninsula? Is it because his strong foreign policy is just generally amazing? You know what I think it is? I think it's that Donald Trump doesn't drink. I've never had a drink. I mean, I've never had a glass of alcohol. A lot of people on the left say they, they don't trust anybody who doesn't drink. I think that's it. I think I've nailed it. If you watch CNN, MSNBC, listen to NPR, or any news organizations from any country outside of the U.S., you will find that just about everyone, every reporter, every world leader, every politician, seems to want to take down Donald Trump. I can understand this to some extent. There is a similar sentiment about America generally. A lot of people both outside and even inside the United States want to take down America. It's the King of the Hill phenomenon. When I was a kid, we used to play a game called King of the Hill. You know, you just go find a hill, somebody would stand at the top, and everybody would try to push that person down the hill. And if anybody else got up there, they would announce that they were now King of the Hill and everybody would try to push them off. America has been King of the Hill for a really long time. And a lot of other kids are starting to get really frustrated. And a lot of people really want to push America off of its perch. I think that Donald Trump criticisms fall into four categories. Racist, sexist, idiot, and megalomaniac. Recently, Trump was criticized by the media and many fellow conservatives for apparently siding with Vladimir Putin over the CIA. The reaction was intense, and that is an extreme understatement. It was this controversy that inspired me to produce this video. The world's reaction to the Putin meeting, it reminded me of the uproar in the press after Donald Trump canceled his meeting with Kim Jong-un. Now, it was obvious to me when he canceled that meeting that the cancellation was merely a negotiating tactic. It was what some people refer to as a power play. Donald Trump wanted to establish his dominance at the negotiating table. There was no doubt in my mind that Donald Trump would go ahead with the meeting. This proved to be true. I am not a top-level negotiator in multi-million dollar business deals. But it was obvious even to me that Trump was executing a shrewd negotiating tactic. How everyone else was blind to that is beyond my understanding. I suspect that much of it was due to self-imposed ignorance. Many in the media want to believe that Trump is a bumbling idiot, that everything he does is a disaster. And for them to suspect that Trump is doing anything strategically or well undermines their premise that he is incompetent. After Trump's meeting with Putin, I saw the same overreaction in the press as I saw after the Kim Jong-un meeting cancellation. Again, I suspected that Trump was, was employing like a shrewd negotiating tactic. And again, I'm not a top-level negotiator, but I have read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It was written in 1936, and I think it's one of the most influential early pieces of writing that established standard business ethics in America. The fundamental idea behind the book was to show how traditional Christian ethics can be used to leverage success in business. To me, the idea that a potential business partner, especially a very powerful one, should be treated with respect and kindness, even if you might hate them, even if you intend to destroy them, especially if you intend to destroy them, especially if you hate them, to me, to me, that is like business 101. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Godfather Part Two. Why anyone in the press would want Donald Trump to be openly hostile when speaking to Vladimir Putin is to me incomprehensible. Either the media has literally zero idea of how to appropriately negotiate with other people, or they hate Donald Trump so much that no matter how he deals with foreign leaders, the media will criticize him utterly unreasonably. I suspect the latter is true. Trump is smart, despite what his detractors insist. He knows that it is crucial to maintain a good relationship with other world leaders. Donald Trump is being very careful with Vladimir Putin. He's, he's putting on a broad smile. He's all yeses. And I suspect that this is partly because he is currently trying to assess what leverage he has to use with Vladimir Putin. In order to confirm my suspicions about what Donald Trump was doing with Vladimir Putin, and to gain further insight into what maybe his strategies are, I bought a copy of Donald Trump's autobiography, The Art of the Deal. I have just completed reading it. One thing I got from reading the book was a validation of my perception that Donald Trump's cancellation of the North Korea conference was a negotiating tactic. He mentions in the book, in a few places, that one should always be willing to walk away from the negotiating table, that one should never seem too desperate to make a deal. To me, this perfectly aligned with his actions during the planning of the North Korea conference. So what did I learn about Trump's meeting with Putin? Donald Trump is a funny guy. 
He, he hasn't seemed to change much over the years. Donald Trump is Donald Trump. His book is filled with what he refers to as truthful hyperbole. He also lavishes extravagant praise on everyone he likes, as well as powerful business associates with whom he has previously done business, is currently doing business, or hopes to do business with in the future. Donald Trump appears to be spontaneous and unpredictable, but in truth, he is methodical and extremely strategic. Part of his strategy is his unpredictability, but I digress. My point is that Donald Trump, being 100% positive with Vladimir Putin, is totally in line with his typical negotiating tactics, which he has employed successfully since the 1970s. Furthermore, keeping a friendly and positive relationship forces Vladimir Putin to be careful about what he does because any slight indiscretion is then not only an affront to the US, but also an apparent betrayal of an otherwise friendly relationship. It may not be a hugely motivating factor for Vladimir Putin, but you never know. It might influence him more than you think. In any case, every little tactic helps. Being friendly can have a vast array of positive effects when stepping up to the negotiating table. If members of the press would merely read Donald Trump's book, or even simply just didn't assume the absolute end of the world about anything Donald Trump did, they might actually be able to clearly see what he's doing with regard to foreign policy. I actually believe that Donald Trump is taking the right line with Russia. I think America was right to elect Donald Trump. I think that any foreign negotiations that we have with Donald Trump doing the negotiating we have the absolute best chance of getting the most optimal deal possible. Look at what he did with the NATO summit in Brussels. I mean, I'll get into that in a minute, but Trump, in a matter of seconds, saved America billions of dollars. And he gave us a huge upper hand with regard to our negotiations with Europe. And I think with regard to North Korea, I think Trump himself said it best when he said, You haven't had a missile test in seven months. You haven't had a nuclear test in eight and a half months. He gave us the remains of our great heroes. Do you see any rockets overhead? Yeah, that's right. This video is being produced primarily to illustrate that the left has no significant criticisms against Donald Trump. They often misinterpret his statements, mischaracterize his intentions, and turn otherwise benign actions and decisions into impending catastrophes. A timeline of Trump controversies and achievements. June 16th, 2015, Donald Trump announces his presidential campaign, Mexican Rapists and the Wall. Okay, so in his initial press conference where he announced his um, presidential campaign, Donald Trump is accused of calling, quote unquote, all Mexicans rapists. When Mexico sends its people they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. Donald Trump never called all Mexicans rapists. What he did is he said Mexico isn't sending their best people over, right? They're not sending their doctors. They're not sending their research scientists. They're not sending their priests, okay? A lot of people who are crossing the border are drug traffickers, right? They are they're human traffickers. Some of them are just simply criminals, just generally criminals. Maybe some cartel member knows he's going to get killed, so he escapes to America, right? Do we want that guy? No, we do not. His essential point was that a lot of the people that are coming over weren't good people. Now, when he said they're rapists, he didn't, he didn't mean they are rapists. He meant T-H-E-I-R, they're rapists. They're rapists. The rapists that belong to Mexico. And then he says, you know, and then there's some good people too. And some, I assume, are good people. Now, the reason he says there are good people too in that sort of dismissive tone isn't to suggest that the good people are the, the ridiculous minority, the smallest group of people coming over. It's to suggest it's the least significant group coming over. Like, do we really want to build a wall for people who are trying to feed their family? No. We want to build a wall so that rapists don't get in, terrorists don't get in, cartel members don't get in, you know, drug dealers don't get in. Potentially the worst kind of horrible people that are sneaking over the border. Like, if you're a bad guy, they're probably not going to let you in the border through legitimate means, right? You're gonna have to find, you're gonna have to sneak across. So he's saying we wanna build a wall to stop those guys coming in. One American death from a Mexican criminal who we could have stopped at the border is a death that didn't need to happen, right? This is the, this is the theory. But the press just says, okay, he didn't mean T-H-E-I-R. He meant T-H-E-Y apostrophe R-E, right? They are rapists, right? Mexicans are rapists. So that's how they interpret it, right? Now, the press knows that's not what he said. They just turn it. They just, they, this is what they call spinning, right? In, in politics, right? You spin something to make it sound good or make it sound bad. In this case, they're spinning Donald Trump's words to make it sound bad. And it's amazing to me the number of people I've met who believe, who genuinely believe that Donald Trump said Mexicans are all rapists. And it's unbelievable, unbelievable to me. August 6th, 2015. 
Megyn Kelly. Look, I'm not even going to talk about this. I'm just going to play the clip. You've called women you don't like fat pigs, dogs, slobs, and disgusting animals. Your Twitter account... Only Rosie O'Donnell. No, it wasn't. I'm going to be honest, I just put that in because it's hilarious. January 23rd, 2016, shoot someone. Donald Trump said that he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and still get elected. They say, I have the most loyal people. Did you ever see that? Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's like incredible. The press went crazy, right? They, it's fine, right? It's a joke. It's something, you know, he's trying to be lighthearted about it. Oh, but no, he can't get away with that. You know, God forbid that Donald Trump makes a joke. About, about the loyalty of his fans using violent imagery. Ah, you know, is he suggesting that people go out and shoot people on Fifth Avenue? Oh, it's dangerous. Yeah, I, it's amazing to me. Like, I legitimately heard people on the news say, like, his rhetoric is dangerous because, you know, because <laughs> he talked about shooting somebody on Fifth Avenue. Nobody, nobody went out and shot anybody on Fifth Avenue, CNN. Oh, my gosh. The press consistently overplays their hand on these things, right? It's, it's like the boy who cried wolf. Donald Trump does things that are legitimately kind of crappy. All right, that his that his base actually looks at and says we don't really like that. CNN and the mainstream media they 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 don't know what to go after. They go after every little thing, right? So if a legitimate controversy comes around, something that his supporters wouldn't like, they don't care anymore because CNN is the boy who cried wolf. CNN goes screaming and shouting about every little thing that Donald Trump does. Donald Trump could walk funny one day. In fact, he did the whole the Elizabeth thing. He like you know walk he could, he didn't see where she was or something and it became a controversy like seriously you're gonna make that into a controversy if you're gonna make that into a controversy we're not going to respect you when you make serious things a controversy like focus on the real controversies february 28th 2016 jake tapper i don't know anything about the ku klux klan i want to ask you about the anti-defamation league which this week called on you to publicly condemn unequivocally the racism of former KKK Grand Wizard David Duke, who recently said that voting against you at this point would be treason to your heritage. Will you unequivocally condemn David Duke and say that you don't want his vote or that of other white supremacists in this election? Well, just so you understand, I don't know anything about David Duke, okay? I don't know anything about what you're even talking about with uh, white supremacy or white supremacists. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Did, did he endorse me or what's going on? Because you know, I know nothing about David Duke. I know nothing about white supremacists. And so you're asking me a question that I'm supposed to be talking about people that I know nothing about. So what happened here? Uh, Jake Tapper is, like, harassing Donald Trump. Like, do you denounce uh, David Duke? Do you not denounce the Ku Klux Klan? Like, you know, what, what is your association with them? Blah, 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 blah. All right, look, I've said this a, a number of times. Just because somebody supports you, that doesn't mean you support them. So Jake Tapper is trying to suggest that Donald Trump is somehow, like, cool with the Klan, right? Oh, he's cool with David Duke because he didn't say, I, I denounce them immediately. What did Trump say? He said, he said something that was actually more significant than I denounce them. He said, look, I don't even know anything about those people, right? And I genuinely believe that about Donald Trump. I don't think he knows. Donald Trump's not from the South. Donald Trump's from New York. If you've lived in New York, and I've lived in New York, you can't walk a block without seeing somebody from every corner of the globe. The cultural integration is insane in New York, more than anywhere else I've ever been in my whole life. If you, if you want to believe that Donald Trump is a racist, I suppose you can do that. But there is absolutely zero evidence for it. To me, it's an absurdity. You know, the whole racism thing, I think, is very sadly tacked on to Donald Trump's persona simply because he's decided to become a Republican now. I mean, he was a registered Democrat for a long time. So, but you know, if he had run as a Democrat, nobody would have tagged him as a, as a racist. But because he's a Republican now, suddenly he's a racist, right? Because that's their line on us. You know, they don't want to have an argument with a conservative. They just want to label every Republican, every conservative as a racist because it's so much easier than having an actual discussion. Sorry, Donald, that's it's the price of being a Republican, I guess, in America. <laughs> March 5th, 2016, the Nazi salute. Okay, wait, let's do a pledge. Raise your right hand. I do solemnly swear that I, no matter how I feel, no matter what the conditions, if there's hurricanes or whatever, That's good enough. We'll vote on or before the 12th for Donald J. Trump for president. Thank you. 
Trump asked everybody to raise their hand in an oath to go to the polls and vote for Trump. He says, like, I want you to all promise. I swear I'm going to vote for Trump, right? So everybody, like, raised their hand, right? And, like, maybe maybe somebody leaned their hand forward or something like that, right? You know, people people are, like, lazy. You know, people, I don't know... I don't know which way people's hands were leaning specifically, but there's absolutely no reference to Nazis. There's lots of times we hold up our hand. You know, you hold up your hand to actually take the oath of office as president. There's a lot of times we hold our hand up in America. So, of course, the press goes crazy. And the press is like, oh, all these people raise their hands like a Nazi salute. The effort that the press goes to to label Donald Trump a racist, to label Donald Trump a Nazi, is unbelievable. May 27th, 2016. Judge Gonzalo Curiel. So tr- Donald Trump had this case, uh, you know, whether or not uh, Trump University was a scam. I don't think, I think it was one of those things that he invested in. He put his name on it, but he didn't really want to have anything to do with it. It was just like a, an investment deal for him. And uh, he didn't want to like put time into it, right? So the university was not as good as probably they promised Trump. So Trump was probably scammed by the people who were running the university as well as the people who were going to the university. And this is a bit of a shame for everybody involved. I actually feel bad for everybody who like spent money at the university. And I think they may have got their money back. I hope so. But this guy, Judge Gonzalo Curiel, uh, there, was some, there was some reason to believe that he might um, be like a very far leftist uh, judge of Mexican heritage, right? And Trump at the time was getting a lot of hate from the Mexican community for his idea to build the wall, right? A lot, a lot, a lot of bad press. So he asserted that it was possible that this Gonzalo Curiel, being of Hispanic heritage, being of Mexican heritage, would potentially judge against Donald Trump specifically because the Mexican community, the Hispanic community in America, was kind of anti-Trump at the time. That's a perfectly reasonable suspicion. It's like, oh, can you check this out? Like, you know, this might not be the best guy to, to be the judge of somebody who the Hispanic community hates right now, right? A Hispanic judge. I don't think that's a completely unreasonable supposition. I mean, it's possible that Gonzalo Curiel is, you know, above reproach. I don't know. I don't know Gonzalo Curiel. But, you know, that suspicion, I don't think is like a racist suspicion. So so how did the press twist this? The press said, Donald Trump suggests that uh, Judge Gonzalo Curiel can't effectively do his job because he's Mexican or something like that, right? I don't, I don't get it. To me, it's like, it's like, well, this is just another opportunity to suggest that Trump's a racist, right? Another little drop of the bucket to make everybody convinced that Trump's a racist. Like, God, they are, they will just, I mean, it's, it's unscrupulous is what it is. It's unscrupulous. September 1st, 2016, football. The only thing that I have to say about this is to ask a question. Is Colin Kaepernick in prison? No? Okay, well, you know what? We still live in a free country. Great. October 7th, 2016. So in 2005, Donald Trump went on Access Hollywood and there was a private recording of him and Billy Bush talking. Trump said some incredibly vulgar things, all right? I I found them incredibly ugly. But that's all they were. Ugly. And this is the famous grab them by the p***y line. Now, what did Donald Trump actually say here? I'm going to play the tape. Hey, when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab them by the I can do anything. Donald Trump is actually pointing out the absurd reality that some women in Hollywood will allow famous men to do with them whatever they like. It's not a pleasant truth. It's a kind of an astonishing truth. It's kind of horrible, but it's absolutely true. And I know women like this, okay? I live in Hollywood. I've met women like this, and it disgusts me. And I've actually said exactly the same thing. Not in the same way. I don't typically use the word when talking about that part of the female anatomy. But, you know, that's how he said it. I mean, he, he's a brash speaker. Him pointing out that fact does not suggest that he actually goes around grabbing women's p***s. Okay, that's not what he was suggesting. He was saying that women allow famous people to do that. Now, Anderson Cooper twisted this in a question during a debate, which I thought was particularly underhanded. Now, Anderson Cooper knew what he said. Okay, Anderson Cooper's not a complete idiot. He's a little, you know, he's... He, You know, he's a degenerate, but he's not an idiot. He asked him in a televised debate, probably one of the most watched debates in history, and he says, you realize that you've admitted to sexual assault, right? You brag that you have sexually assaulted women. Do you understand that? No, I didn't say that at all. I don't think you understood what was said. Anderson, he did not admit to sexual assault. He did say that occasionally he'll go up to a woman and just kiss them. But that's not sexual assault. My suspicion is that he sees a woman who looks interested and then he'll kiss them as a kind of like overt romantic gesture. 
And probably sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, he's rich, right? Like, some girls just love rich, famous guys. I mean, that's just how it goes. But, like, imagine Brad Pitt does that to a girl. Imagine Brad Pitt standing there with a girl in private, and the girl looks at him like, I really want you to kiss me. And he grabs her and he kisses her. Who looks at that and says, well, that's sexual assault? No, it isn't. That's just him making a move. And the woman is probably quite happy about it. In the case of Donald Trump, he's not utterly horrific. And, you know, it's a risk. It's a bold move. But if you're not bold as a man... You're probably not that attractive to women anyway. My point is, yeah, the tape's ugly. Nobody liked to hear that. But did, but did Trump admit to anything illegal? No. Did he do anything terribly unethical? I actually don't think so. I, I mean, maybe he has, but it certainly wasn't admitted to in that tape. October 16th, sexual assault allegations. Now, after this tape came out, a lot of women came out and said, oh, I was sexually assaulted, I was sexually assaulted. Okay, so I watched an interview with the women who claimed to have been sexually assaulted by Donald Trump. The stories of these women are unbelievably benign. It is just the weakest accusations. So they interview the girl who had the most severe story. What did she say? I, I don't know. I'm gonna have to play the tape for you. Well, I worked in Trump Tower, so I would see him almost daily, you know, waiting for his elevator. Um, and on one day, I decided to introduce myself, and he shook my hand, you know, and he kind of gave me the normal double-cheek kiss. Um, but then he held on to my hand, and he kept kissing me. You know, he kept asking me maybe a, a question, where are you from, and kissing me again. Where is and this? Again. Where is this happening? It's right outside the elevators, right outside my office. So he kept kissing you? Yeah, he went, I don't know how many times, back and forth, multiple, um, and then he kissed me on the lips. And I was shocked, yeah. Okay, and the hilarious thing is the interviewer asks her, she says, well, do you think this was sexual assault or, or do you think this was just Donald Trump making a move, right? He was just trying to get with you because he, he misinterpreted your body language and he just thought you liked him. And she said, oh, that's absolutely what that was. It's absolutely what that was. Just this past Friday, Juliet Huddy, mm -hmm. a former colleague of mine at Fox News, Juliet went on to say she didn't feel threatened. She thought it was a guy taking a shot, you know, mm -hmm. at her. Mm -hmm who failed, you know, who misread the situation. How did you take it? I mean, I felt the same way, I guess, but um, I was uncomfortable because he was someone I saw regularly. If you suggest to him, if he, if he is under the impression that you want him to kiss you and he kisses you, guys have to be able to make moves on women for the procreation of the species. If we start to outlaw romantic gestures, the human race will die off. I, I really genuinely think that these women are just trying to get famous. They're just trying to get attention. They're just trying to say like, oh, I'm a victim. You know, you should be sympathetic to me. I, I'll ask any, any viewer here, do you remember hearing the specific allegations of sexual assault with Donald Trump? Because I had to look it up. I like had to actually like, dig for it because so few people were covering the specific accusations because they were so weak. They're unbelievably weak. I mean, I don't think Donald Trump is a perfect guy. You know, I, I don't generally go around grabbing women and kissing them. That's not how I, that's not how I work. But he's a rich dude, you know, for some women that might do it for them. I don't know. It's, it's hard to sit here and judge any situation you haven't actually witnessed, right? You weren't there for. You don't really know what happened. For the press to completely demonize him because of this. And they, and they don't talk about it too much, but, you know, occasionally I'll, I will hear somebody, well, what about the sexual assault allegations? They're allegations, okay? And they're weak allegations. You know, if you don't believe me, just look into it. There was a couple of more severe accusations, but they've been, you know, nobody believes them. They're, you know, they're clearly people attempting to get you know, famous, you know, or, or, or get some attention for themselves. They aren't covered in the leftist media, and I think that says a lot. November 8th, 2016, Election Day. As soon as Donald Trump was elected president, there was an immediate spike in the stock market prices, and there has been steady and significant growth ever since. To me, that's kind of a big deal. Here is the president yesterday. Take a listen. We've accomplished an economic turnaround of historic proportions. Once again, we are the economic envy of the entire world. As the trade deals come in one by one, we're going to go a lot higher than these numbers. And these are great numbers. These numbers are very, very sustainable. This isn't a one-time shot. If economic growth continues at this pace, the United States economy will double in size more than 10 years faster than it would have under either President Bush or President Obama. The immense growth that we've had during the Trump administration can actually be attributed in part to Donald Trump being president. And I think that that's incredibly important. He should be given some credit for that. January 20th, 2017, the inauguration of President Donald J. Trump. Nothing happened that day. It was a 
relatively calm day. January 27th, 2017, the Muslim ban. All right, we've all been through this a million times. Donald Trump put a ban in place, it banned travelers from countries that were deemed particularly dangerous. And these were countries that the Obama administration had listed. This wasn't like Donald Trump was going like, okay, who are the races we don't want in America? Okay, these people are out. <laughs> no, you just went, okay, the previous administration thought these countries were dangerous, or they wanted to put a ban in place. You know what? Let's do that. That's actually pretty good. We'll kind of figure out a better solution later, but let's do it. Right? I like the idea while we figure it out. I love that, right? You know, we got, we got to figure out exactly what to do to keep the country safe. In the meantime, let's just take this kind of extreme action as a temporary solution. Extreme actions for temporary solutions are fantastic, right? Yeah. So it inconvenienced some people trying to get over here. Big deal. All right, to stay in your country for a little while. It's not like it's not like the end of the world. I'm I'm sure it was actually a major inconvenience for some people. Better to terribly inconvenience a few people than to let a 12-year-old girl in Florida die because somebody got through and bombed a building or something, right? To me, yeah, right. That's the better solution. So, Donald Trump, good job on the Muslim ban. I know it wasn't a Muslim ban, but I'm going to call it that because that's what all your detractors say and I think it's funny. By the way, I have no problem with Muslims. Like a couple of my best friends in my life were Muslim guys, so May 19th, 2017. The most controversial moment in the presidency of Donald J. Trump. It is revealed that Donald Trump likes his steaks well done. What a rube. A primitive, unsophisticated brain with an utterly underdeveloped palate. <laughs> I actually read an article by a seriously arrogant prick. By the way, food critics in general, frauds. This is a con job. This is not a real job. They're arrogant morons who think, well, if you don't like what I like, then you have no taste. <laughs> okay, these are con men, and nobody should pay them for liking particular foods. This is moronic. So anyway, this guy writes why we have to worry that Donald Trump likes his steaks well done. And his, so the whole premise of his, of his article is that, like, there is no possibility in this guy's mind that any human being can prefer a well-done steak to a medium-rare steak. In his mind, medium-rare is the standard, right? It's generally accepted by all chefs. Medium-rare is the only way you can have a steak. If you have a steak well done, that means that you, you just haven't tried a medium-rare steak. That, that's his assumption. Well, let me tell you about a guy that I know that likes well-done steaks. And he's not an idiot. He's a really smart guy. Me. Okay, I like my steaks well done. So screw you, Mr. Food Critic Guy. So I used to eat medium rare steaks, always. Because when I was growing up, it was kind of considered manly to have a steak that was kind of rare. So as I grew older, I started learning a little bit more about food. And I heard about marbling, right? What's marbling? Marbling is fat uh, that's integrated into the meat. So if you get a, a well-marbled steak, it means it's kind of a fatty steak. So I started to buy different kinds of steaks with different kinds of marbling. And what I found was, if you cook a very well-marbled steak, medium rare, the fat doesn't render very well. And unrendered fat is kind of gross, right? It's like eating raw fat is gross. But if the fat is rendered really well, it's like, got the, uh, I forget what they call it, the, the Maillard effect, right? The Maillard effect is when you get that searing on the outside of a steak, right? It gets all really brown. If you can sear a steak very, very nicely and cook it all the way through and has that marbling, what'll happen is that fat kind of melts in and then fries up the steak. And it is absolutely delicious. You just put salt and pepper on it, the best way to have a steak. And you know what kind of steak I buy? The absolute cheapest steak. <laughs> I buy chuck steak. But you gotta cook it all the way through. To me, if I find any piece of pink in there, it tastes a little irony, right? You get that kind of blood taste. And I hate that taste, right? It's a, it's a bitter, unpleasant flavor. The irony taste, right? The taste of rust. Now, so the reason that chefs like steaks medium rare is because usually what they're cooking is a, like a leaner piece of meat, right? And you're and if you cook it all the way through, it really dries it out. But with a well-marbled steak, you don't have that problem. So, I mean, I don't know what kind of cuts of steak that Trump's getting, but if it's well-marbled steak and he's getting it well done, it's probably phenomenally delicious. Now, Trump also has it with ketchup. Okay, I don't understand that at all. But a lot of people eat steak with barbecue sauce or A1 sauce. And that's not that far off from ketchup. I think that we associate ketchup with like macaroni and cheese or cheese sandwiches or stuff like this. McDonald's hamburgers. And so people kind of associate ketchup with childhood. So they think, oh, you know, Donald Trump must have the mind of a child if he has a steak with ketchup. Okay, I would say this. Perhaps that's how Donald Trump had it as a little kid. And maybe Trump was a little nostalgic. Okay, apparently, according to the same writer, Donald Trump prefers the meatloaf that his mom used to make when he was a little boy, and that's all he eats when he's at Mar-a-Lago, right? I love that. That's just endearing. That's lovely. I love that, okay? He, he eats the meatloaf his mom used to make. I, that's just wonderful. Does this man not have a right to nostalgia? We all indulge in nostalgia, okay? The 80s are so big right now. If you watch Stranger Things, you have no right to criticize Trump for eating ketchup with his steak. Nostalgia is a beautiful thing. It allows us to sort of take comfort in our childhood, the beautiful days of childhood. 
and to maybe remind us of our parents who maybe we've lost. For somebody to criticize Trump for remembering his mother, to me, that is like the sickest kind of criticism. This guy is a complete degenerate and should lose his job. Not that he should have that job anyway. Being a food critic means you are a fraud. Let the guy eat the steak however he wants to eat the steak. In fact, if I go to Washington, I'm gonna have a steak right with you. In fact, I'll cook you a steak. I wanna have steak with Donald Trump. We can both have it well done. It'll be a beautiful moment. July 25th, 2017, Russian collusion. All right, this is the big one, right? Russian collusion. This one's been going on for like a million years here. Now, what are we talking about here? We're talking about treason, right? We're not talking about collusion. We're not talking about like impropriety. We're talking about treason, right? They were investigating Donald Trump for treason. They suspected, or they, they claimed that they suspected, that Donald Trump had colluded with Russians to win the election. The attempt was to oust him from office and get Hillary put in there. All right, now this investigation is still going on, so we don't know everything yet. It hasn't all been released to the public, but based on the arrests that they've made and the reasons for those arrests, we can pretty safely say there was no collusion whatsoever. What we do know is that the dossier that was used to acquire the warrants to investigate Trump in the first place, it exclusively consisted of information provided by Russians, collected by a British secret agent and paid for by the Clinton campaign. This dossier was used by the anti-Trump members of the deep state to begin the investigation. This investigation would never have happened without that dossier. There's some debate about how crucial the dossier was in securing the warrants, but everything I've seen on television or read about it indicates that the dossier was instrumental. What is the deep state? The deep state is merely this. Powerful government officials who have no term limits. They see elected officials come and go, and they hold positions for decades. They exert their influence over the country to their own ends. Their aims may align with the country. In this case, we don't care what they do, but they may not. And it's when they do not align that we have a problem. And in this case, they absolutely do not. These deep state actors are trying to take down a sitting president and their accusation of him is treason? How have these people not been arrested for treason themselves? They just keep releasing dirt on Trump that's irrelevant to the treason investigation. The entire thing is just an excuse to legally dig through Trump's trash, open his mail, try to find whatever dirt they can find on him to take him down. It needs to end. I think Congress or the president or whoever should say, you know what? Your investigation has one week left. Gather your evidence, present it to the American people. It's gone on long enough. Done. Boom. Enough. If they haven't found evidence of treason yet, they never will. No other accusation is relevant. It doesn't matter whether he talked to a Russian at some point. All that matters is if Trump intentionally subverted the will of the American people and he w wouldn't have won the election otherwise. But that never happened. We know that didn't happen. All the investigators know that didn't happen. Again, just an excuse to dig up dirt on the president has to stop. Russian interference. This is not so much an accusation against Trump, but it's tied to the collusion charge. Okay, so the idea is that the Russians somehow tried to like influence the election, regardless of the Trump connection, in favor of Donald Trump, right? That was the idea. So some Russians, we don't know if they have any ties to the Kremlin or not. We've just been told that they're Russians by our intelligence agencies, apparently purchased some ads on Facebook that, that the mainstream media insist were efforts to get Trump elected. But these ads include anti-Trump ads. Okay, mo most of the ads were typical mudslinging-type campaign ads against both Hillary and Trump, but some of them were, like, pro-Black Lives Matter, some of them were pro-Bernie, and they seemed to target more radical elements in the United States. Russia just wanted to sow discord during the election, and it was super ineffective. The stuff that American university students say is far more provocative than what was in these ads. You're a white male! The position of the leftist press is that since there were more anti-Hillary ads than anti-Trump ads, well, the Russians involved must have, must have wanted Trump elected, but there is no evidence whatsoever that this is true. It's pure speculation as a way of demonizing Trump as usual, right? It's, they're trying to use it as like evidence to suggest that, well, the Russians are generally pro-Trump, so it makes sense that they were colluding with Donald Trump. Come on. There were anti-Trump ads. Anti-Trump ads. Why would they do that if they're colluding with Trump? They really want to get Trump. They were just sowing discord. But to sit here and say, oh, you know, because Russia produced ads, Trump is evil. Come on. There were anti-Trump ads there. Mainstream media. You morons. August 15th, 2017. Charlottesville. Well, excuse me. I've condemned neo-Nazis. I've condemned many different groups. But not all of those people were neo-Nazis. Believe me. Not all of those people were white supremacists by any stretch. Those people were also there because they wanted to protest the taking down of a statue, Robert E. Lee. Are you putting what you're calling the alt-left and white supremacists on the same moral plane? 
I'm not putting anybody on a moral plane. What I'm saying is this. You had a group on one side and you had a group on the other, and they came at each other with clubs, and it was vicious, and it was horrible, and it was a horrible thing to watch. But there is another side. There was a group on this side, you can call them the left, you've just called them the left, that came violently attacking the other group. So you can say what you want, but that's the way it is. Yes, I think there's blame on both sides. You look at, you look at both sides. I think there's blame on both sides, and I have no doubt about it, and you don't have any doubt about it either. And, and, and if you reported it accurately, you would say. Excuse me. Excuse me. They didn't put themselves down as you. And you had some very bad people in that group. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. The point that Trump was really trying to make is that the protesters were pretty messed up too. They were pretty bad people. But the press focused exclusively on the marchers. They had no interest in covering how vulgar, horrible, and violent, really violent, the protesters of the marchers were. And they were, I actually genuinely think the protesters were worse than the marchers. I don't support white supremacy. I don't support white nationalism, neo-Nazis. I don't like that stuff. But I certainly don't like people going out and intentionally causing violence. Okay, that's just as bad. I know these people feel like righteous indignation, right? Oh, oh they're, they're racist, so we, we have the right to murder them. No, you don't. I think what we have to do in America is stop hating people for their ideas and simply hate the ideas, but show some modicum of respect to the people who hold those ideas. Because you're never going to convince somebody that they're wrong if you just act hateful toward them, okay? That's not going to help things. You're not going to convince a single Charlottesville marcher that they're wrong by physically attacking them. Okay? That's not going to happen. So were there fine people on both sides? Maybe there were. You know, if Donald Trump thinks that, it doesn't make him evil. He's certainly not a racist. And this is just another one of those instances where the press is just trying to find a way to, to spin it so that Donald Trump looks like a racist. And to me, it is despicable. September 19th, 2017. Little Rocket Man. Again, the press loses their sh you're gonna cause World War III. They have nuclear missiles. They're gonna kill us all. This idea that, that, that Donald Trump does not know how to negotiate with world leaders. Like, here's an idea. Here, here, what's the alternative, guys? Is the alternative to, like, acquiesce to everything Kim Jong-un says? You have no leverage without strength. Let's say you've got a bully in school, right? And you're a nerd. And, and the bully's beating you up all the time. And this other nerd comes over and he says, stop that. And the bully just kind of laughs at him. Is that effective? I don't think so. But if another nerd comes up and the bully's picking on him and the nerd just comes around and decks him, knocks out the bully, the bully's going to think twice about picking on nerds from that point on, right? The nerd who decked him, that's the guy you want to be friends with because he's going to protect you. He's a, he's a badass. The guy going, stop, please stop, please stop. He's not going to protect you. You don't want to be friends with him, right? That's the difference between Obama and Trump. Trump throws rhetorical punches. He's not fighting with a feather duster like Obama, all right? This is how you speak to tyrants. They don't respect limp wrists of leftist diplomats. They respect only the solid fist of a strong conservative. He demands that people show respect to the United States and the rest of the world, and they do not threaten us with nuclear weapons, okay? Because we will obliterate them. It's true. It's, it's, I think previous presidents felt like they didn't have to say that, but as the rhetoric got weaker and weaker and weaker, certain kind of dictatorial regimes, I think, did lose respect for America, and Trump is bringing that respect back. So when Trump says something like a little rocket man and shows a lack of respect to Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-un, believe it or not, respects that rhetoric because that's how he talks. You know, in a, in a way, I'm kind of the same. Like, I'm pretty good at debate, right? Uh, I'm pretty well-spoken. If I go into a room and I challenge everybody rhetorically about their ideas, and this guy goes, well, I don't agree with you, but, you know, maybe. And this person says, uh, yeah, sure, that sounds right. right? And they lo all look terrified to contradict me. And then one guy says, no, you're wrong. Who do I start to talk to in this, in this room? I'm not talking to the weak people who are agreeing with me out of cowardice. I'm talking to the guy who said, no, you're wrong. All right. It's on, pal. Let's talk. And I don't, I don't hate him for disagreeing with me. I respect him for standing up to me. Because I'm a little bit intense. I'm a little bit intimidating sometimes. Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump are both the same way. They're intimidating figures. They're very large characters. And if they walk into a room and they say something and nobody challenges them, they <laughs> move on. But if somebody says, no, you're wrong, 
then they're like, oh, okay, showing a little klutzak there. Let's, uh, let's have a little debate. Let's have a little discussion. Obviously, Kim Jong-un's people can't do that because they'll be murdered, but Donald Trump can. Trump recognizes it. Obama did not. And look what the result is. The result is we may now have peace with North Korea. North Korea may dismantle all of their nuclear weapons, may enter into negotiations with the rest of the world in terms of their economic stuff. They may actually start to be good to their people. I don't know. It's a step-by-step process. But the reality is Donald Trump has started the ball rolling. Obama didn't do that. Trump did. January 12th, 2018. Stormy Daniels. This is a genuine scandal. It's a real-life moral deficiency on the part of Donald Trump, and it should be condemned. That said, this is a case of the left overplaying its hand. Donald Trump is known for being unfaithful. He's had three wives, after all. He's in great company amongst U.S. presidents in that regard. I don't think American voters love it when their president is caught cheating, but... Here's the catch. Neither do we think it's a fatal flaw. Though it may indicate a broader lack of morality, infidelity in itself does not make a man unfit for office. There is no executive decision that will be influenced by this moral failing. And look, it's, it's not as if Donald Trump had this affair while in office, like Bill Clinton or John F. Kennedy. However, it's still ugly. But the press didn't even focus on Trump's real vulnerability here. What was that vulnerability? His current wife, the woman he cheated on, Melania. Why didn't the press exploit the image of the sympathetic wife cheated on by her rotten husband? Because they hate Melania. I think they hate Melania more than Donald Trump, and it's weird. The reality is, Melania isn't that sympathetic a character, especially for the left. She's strikingly beautiful, she's married a super-rich guy who became president, and she has a steely-eyed stare, right? Leftists hate her, and they want to hate her, and they have no interest in being sympathetic to her. But still, focusing on the infidelity would have been the best bet for the press. But what did they do? They tried to find some point of illegality. They wanted to find some way of showing Trump was guilty of a crime. They wanted to paint Stormy Daniels as a victim of Trump's predation, even though it was perfectly clear that she was with Trump consensually, and most certainly because she wanted to get on to The Apprentice. You see, with a woman like Stormy Daniels, the hashtag MeToo thing happens in the opposite way. It's not the powerful man telling the woman, sleep with me and I'll make you famous. Is the diabolical woman saying, I'll sleep with you if you consider making me famous. There's now a new girl in the news, Karen McDougal, and the press is predictably doing the same thing. The left seems to have this singular idea about Trump. Impeachment. Because of this, they consistently overplay their hand. They end up with zero political capital gained. It's another case of the press crying wolf. The American people no longer take the press seriously when they condemn Trump for anything anymore. It may be a legitimate criticism, but we don't care anymore because you're constantly criticizing him for the most idiotic things, like how he prepares his steak. March 8th, 2018. Tariffs. Okay, this is my take on tariffs. I'm generally a free trade guy. I don't like tariffs. That said, one has to consider what industries are of strong benefit to one's nation and why those industries might be of benefit. Economists who exclusively prioritize the bottom line would say that the loss of an entire industry is inconsequential. Because if that industry is concentrated elsewhere, in another country, it might facilitate the growth of other industries and benefit the country who lost the industry more than if they try to keep that original industry. True. But, as Jordan Peterson points out, there are many Americans with incredibly low IQ. What do you do with people who are incapable of doing intellectually demanding jobs? You have to give them basic labor jobs. Now, I'm not condemning all you know, steel labor jobs is intellectually undemanding, but many jobs in that industry are. And, you know, smart guys even like labor jobs sometimes. Don't ask me why, but it's true. The truth is there are a lot of guys out there who want steel jobs, who want logging jobs. You know, there are guys out there who who just prefer certain traditional professions that the intellectual elite might think of as useless, but they like those jobs. And furthermore, we cannot push our society into a country of exclusively intellectually demanding industries. A huge proportion of working Americans would never be capable of performing those jobs. And look, I I don't think that this is Trump's reasoning. I, I think Trump wants to make sure that we have enough steel to keep our military going in case of a serious threat. And this is also a valid reason. Either way, there is benefit to keeping certain industries in the U.S. despite the fact that it might not be the optimal strategy for economic growth. Okay, so now on the same day, March 8th, 2018, it was announced that Donald Trump would be meeting Kim Jong-un. The press went mental. Richard Blumenthal, the Democratic senator from Connecticut, said, North Korea is devising ways to deceive the United States. Tom Nichols of USA Today said, if Trump actually succeeds in beginning the denuclearization, 
nation of North Korea. He will be far worthier of a Nobel Prize than Barack Obama ever was. But the chances of this are roughly zero. More likely is that this will end in diplomatic disaster. Really, really, did it end in disaster? Because I don't remember that happening. May 24th, 2018, pulling out of the meeting with North Korea. Now, remember what I said before, this was a negotiating tactic, executed beautifully and with the deft of a true master. Even so, Jonathan Bernstein of Bloomberg said, add North Korea to Trump's foreign policy blunders. Trump seems to make important foreign policy decisions based on who flattered him best or what cable news pundits say. Alex Shepard of the New Republic said, there's no magic bullet or magic summit that will resolve the North Korea situation. Trump has finally acknowledged that. But in Trumpian fashion, he's done so in a way that escalates the situation and alienates our allies. It's funny because I don't remember our allies becoming alienated because of his cancellation of the meeting. In fact, considering the fact that it was clearly a negotiating tactic, people who are doubtful probably respect him a lot more now. June 12th, 2018, the actual meeting with North Korea. So now not a lot of people criticize the actual reinstatement of the meeting with North Korea. At least I didn't see anything like that. But a lot of people criticized Trump after the meeting with North Korea. Lindsey Ford of the New York Times said, Trump got outplayed in North Korea. Max Boot of the Washington Post wrote, Kim Jong-un has played Trump like a Stradivarius. Trump's dealings with North Korea have been a masterclass in self-deception. Kim Jong-un has gotten everything he wanted, sanction relaxation, international legitimization, without giving up a single thing in return. New satellite images from North Korea appear to show the dismantling of key facilities at a missile engine testing site. Now, the research group 38 North says North Korea is breaking down an engine testing stand that is used to develop liquid fuel engines for ballistic missiles. 38 North says the Sohei site has been the nation's main satellite launch base since 2012. The site is believed to have played a major role in North Korea's long-range missile program. President Trump said North Korean leader Kim Jong-un told him the government would dismantle a missile engine testing site when the two met in Singapore last month. A 38 North analyst calls this latest move an important first step. The remains of 55 U.S. service members killed in the Korean War returned to the U.S. by North Korea. The 55 cases were each draped with the flag of the United Nations, and they arrived aboard a U.S. military plane at Osan Airport air base just outside Seoul, South Korea. This transfer had been negotiated last month during President Trump's summit with Kim in Singapore, where they reportedly discussed this matter directly face to face. The return of remains is viewed as a way for the North to demonstrate its intent to follow through on other commitments that Kim made to President Trump, including, most importantly, the commitment to denuclearize. That's right. Thank you, Donald Trump. Why can't the press just say thank you every once in a while? I think the people on Fox do it. You know why? Because they're fair and balanced. I mean, I think it's fairly obvious that Trump did a pretty phenomenal job in North Korea. You know, everything's not said and done just yet. I mean, we don't know exactly what the long-term consequences are of that summit. But it seems pretty good so far, right? Everybody seems to be playing ball. And to not give credit to Trump at this point... I mean, it's just head-in-the-sand mentality here. It's what my writing partner, Kurt, would call aggressive ignorance. I love that term. June 12th, 2018. Kids in cages. Now, I've made an entire video about my outrage concerning the kids in cages controversy. Basically, this is a cheap marketing tactic of the left and should be disregarded by the American public. Alas, people are vulnerable to emotional manipulation. And the effectiveness of this tactic is undeniable. So yeah, the left got some political capital out of the photo of the little girl crying, despite the fact that she was not taken from her mother. At the end of the day, securing the border is important. Stopping vile degenerates from trafficking in children is of the utmost importance. So yeah, if a kid has to be separated from the adult ferrying them across the border for a little while to determine if they really are the parent, then yeah, do that. But look, tough situations for well-meaning people also has a benefit. It sends a clear message. If you cross the border, you're going to have a tough time. And I like that message. Look, I, I love immigrants, okay? I'm gonna marry one, actually. But let's not encourage everyone in the world just to, to cheat the system and sneak in. That is of no benefit to anyone. July 12th, 2018, NATO. This, I believe, was the single most impressive day in Trump's presidency so far. This moment has a foundation in Trump's threats to leave NATO when he was still campaigning. He basically said that America doesn't need NATO. We're paying to protect Europe. Why? Europe should protect Europe. They're not poor. 
This was uh, March 21st, 2016. And because of that position, NATO countries started to increase their own defense spending, even before the summit. But the summit, the summit, the summit was just pure Trump. It was seriously impressive. If I love Trump for nothing else, I love Trump for this moment. Germany is just paying a little bit over 1%, whereas the United States in actual numbers is paying 4.2% of a much larger GDP. So I think that's inappropriate also. You know, we're protecting Germany, we're protecting France, we're protecting everybody, and yet we're paying a lot of money to protect. Now, this has been going on for decades. This has been brought up by other presidents, but other presidents never did anything about it because I don't think they understood it or they just didn't want to get involved. But I have to bring it up because I think it's very unfair to our country. It's very unfair to our taxpayers. And I think that these countries have to step it up, not over a 10-year period. They have to step it up immediately. Germany is a rich country. They talk about they're going to increase it a tiny bit by 2030. Well, they could increase it immediately tomorrow and have no problem. I don't think it's fair to the United States. So we're going to have to do something because we're not going to put up with it. We can't put up with it. And it's inappropriate. He walks in like a boss. He turns everybody to the table and he says, we're paying 4%. You're all supposed to be paying 2%. But you don't even pay that. What the hell are we paying for you guys? Everybody in the room is like, uh... They're like, we don't know what to say. We don't know what to say. Nobody ever calls us out to our face. Like, this is crazy. Trump drops the mic, walks out again like a boss. What Trump did, it was such a decisive victory. And it took Trump, what, two minutes? Two minutes? Decades of incompetence from other presidents. We send Trump in, two minutes, boom, sorted. Amazing. Amazing. And then, and then get this. What does the press say? What does the press say after he leaves? Oh, what? Trump wasn't very nice. He wasn't nice. He wasn't nice. These guys have been stealing from us for years. Come on. Let's get real here. You know, Trump saved us billions of dollars in like two minutes. And you're complaining that he wasn't polite about it. The, pr the press will literally criticize Trump for anything. It's insane. Donald Trump could save the life of a nine-year-old girl and the press would find some way to criticize him. Oh, and Trump snatched that girl off the cliff edge. He was a little rough about it. I mean, come on, like give the guy a break. It was literally the most beautiful negotiation I've ever seen in my entire life. And the press is like criticizing him for not being polite. The mainstream media needs to check themselves. They really need to check themselves. Final thoughts. Trump is an imperfect man. But to say he's a truly good person or a seriously bad guy, I think that is very hard to say. From having read his book and closely watched his campaign and now his presidency, I think that Trump has all the character flaws he's accused of. Not the bigotry, but the personal flaws. I think he's bombastic, arrogant, selfish, greedy, ruthless, hyperbolic, vulgar, and tactless. But... There is a balance. Having read The Art of the Deal, I can say with full confidence, there is a balance to Trump. With all of his little flaws come some amazing gifts. Trump is truly a master negotiator. He's bold. He's willing to say publicly things that other presidents would never dare. And directly to the faces of the people about which he's speaking. He's open and honest. Yes, honest. Hyperbole does not necessarily equate to deception. He is a master promoter. He's charming. He's unbelievably intelligent. Yes, unbelievably intelligent. And after doing all the research I could do, I genuinely believe that Donald Trump is a good man. Now, that doesn't mean I think he's perfect. Sometimes good men do bad things, and I think Donald Trump has done a lot of bad things. But the first time I started to suspect he was a good man was when his daughter said in an interview that every morning before school, Trump would take his kids aside and say, no drinking, no drugs, no smoking. That's a sign of a pretty good dad. Every, every day of our life, every morning, Daily. don't drink, don't do drugs. Don't every morning, every morning every before morning. school, without fail. I wow. mean, it was, as young children, it often was accompanied by one of us eye-rolling. But, you know, I think in retrospect, as parents, we, we see how much uh, that was an important message. She used to say, Daddy, don't say Please. that anymore. Don't say <laughs> that. But I, I just felt it was important because I've seen so many brilliant young children of wonderful parents destroyed mm. because they drank or they took drugs. Mm. The characteristic that stirs up so much hate for him that almost every other criticism of this man is derived from, it's his tactlessness. In Oregon, we pride ourselves on our honesty. We are pragmatic people and we say it like it is. If that means we have to say something that's a little difficult, a hard truth, we say it anyway. Because it's better to know the truth 
than to wander through life with a pretty delusion. You can't fix anything if you don't know it's broken. And you can't know where somebody stands if they're not honest. So we're honest. Now, I'm not from New York, but I've lived in New York. In New York, they take the idea of brutal honesty to another level. New Yorkers aren't merely willing to be brutal in their honesty. They're suspicious if you aren't brutal. So they go out of their way to be brutal, even when it isn't necessary. If it's not brutal honesty, it's not honesty. We in Oregon, we employ something we call tact. New Yorkers reject tact. They are tactless, and they like being that way. Many Americans don't understand this, especially the effete American journalist. They think that Donald Trump's brash language is disrespectful, but to the New York guy, anything else would be disrespectful. The ironic thing is that every time the press or the Hollywood elite or the intellectual elite or the political elite ridicule Trump for his ineloquent way of speaking, they undermine all credibility in the mind of Trump supporters. Why? Because many Trump supporters speak ineloquently. Or else they know people who do. And they know that speaking ineloquently does not make you an idiot. I live in LA. I spend a lot of time with actors, way more time than I would like. And I can tell you this, there are a lot of people out there who are extraordinarily eloquent but total morons. Because they speak well, most people show them an enormous amount of respect, but if you get into any in-depth conversation, their ignorance is quickly revealed. So the question is, would you rather have a brilliant orator with zero substance, Obama, or would we rather have somebody who talks a little rough, but who's actually brilliant, Trump? I'm gonna say the latter every time. And this is kind of personal for me too, because I speak well, and I've obviously enjoyed undeserved respect for my intellect. Whereas I've seen my brother Nick, an utterly ineloquent speaker, completely disrespected for his inability to eloquently articulate ideas. But my brother Nick is just as intelligent as I am. He knew Trump was going to win from the moment he announced his campaign. I didn't believe it. He said to me over the phone, you don't get it, Chris. You're a sophisticated city slicker. <laughs> he says, you don't see what's going on with the regular folks. It was when it became clear that Trump was going to win the primary that I started to realize my brother's a lot more on the ball with this stuff than I am. From now on, I just take my brother's political predictions as fact. He humbled me big time. The leftist media and the international community, they should have also been humbled by the Trump victory. They ridiculed Trump and Trump supporters relentlessly during his campaign. And when he defeated Hillary and confounded all their expectations, did they say, oh, you know what? Trump was right. His supporters were right. No. No. They've been trying to get back at Trump for their humiliation ever since. The ridicule has only increased. They don't, they don't care about policies or real conversations. They're just being ignorant out of spite. But if the world wants to legitimately criticize the president, then they have to get to know Trump. They have to read The Art of the Deal. Now, I'm not recommending that my subscribers go out and read it. Trump supporters already understand Trump. You guys get it. But for the reporter, the world leader, the politician, the, the Hollywood Trump-hating elite, even the common Trump-hating American voter, they really should get to know the man. More importantly, these Trump haters should educate themselves on right-wing politics. And I'm not talking about leftist straw man false construct right-wing politics. I mean actual conservative ideas and the motivations behind those ideas. And they need to take those ideas seriously. The left has for too long dismissed American right-wing ideas as merely the product of hateful racist thinking or sexism, homophobia, transphobia, xenophobia, or some other bigotry. An easy label to stamp. It's a stamp that says, no reason to learn about this, it's just evil. That's the real problem with the Trump hater. It's not that they hate Trump. I mean, that's fair enough. He's a bombastic, arrogant blowhard. He's an easy guy to hate. The real problem is that they hate conservatism, a political perspective that they don't even take a second to try to understand. Because it's easier to believe, I'm one of the good guys, than to explore new ideas, consider things rationally, and maybe wrestle with the tragedy of discovering that you might be wrong about something. But, and I'm speaking to the leftists now, imagine what could happen if you did explore? What if, what if you didn't just assume the right was evil and actually considered their ideas and took them seriously? What if you found out that you agreed on a few things and, and learned a little bit more about how the world works and, and you could collaborate with right-wing people and, and actually solve some of the world's problems? You could improve the world for everyone. Imagine. Then you really would be one of the good guys. Well, that's it for me. A little personal news. My book is finally out. <laughs> I can finally announce the title. I have called it Straight White Christian Man. That is not a joke. That is how, what I named my book. 
I have an entire video on this, so please watch that. There will be a link at the end, but if you want to get the book right now, please feel free to check the link out in the description. Again, the book is not a political book. It's a book of short stories. They're fictions, kind of like The Twilight Zone or Black Mirror. So if you like that sort of thing, you'll probably like these stories. That's sort of my favorite thing going on at the moment, so please check that out. You know, look, the more successful the book is, the better I shall feel about the world. You may have noticed I finally got one of my own Mr. Reagan mugs. Uh, you can have a look at that. That's, that's pretty nice. If you'd like one of those, you can buy it or a t-shirt or whatever. The link is in the description. They're a little overpriced, not going to lie, but every purchase helps me out big time. Or you can support me on my Patreon that uh, helps to build the channel. This video took me a week to make, and it was a lot of work. This is the biggest video I ever did. I can't yet quit my day job and commit 100% to bringing reasoned and logical political and philosophical ideas to the world, but I would love to. And Patreon might make it possible for me to do that at some point in the future. Okay, so if you like this video, give me a like. If you want to see more like this, please subscribe. And if you hate me, look, I just want to help make America great again, okay? There's no reason for such hostility. Good night. This is the specter our well-meaning liberal friends refuse to face, that their policy of accommodation is appeasement. If we continue to accommodate, continue to back and retreat, therein lies the road to war. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery.